Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Be the Gospel with Anthony Tajarina. Did I say that right? You did. You're getting better and better. <laughs> and he's going to give us a good, good, wholesome teaching tonight. Welcome to the program, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about something that is probably one of the most misunderstood topics um, in Christianity, and and that's baptism of the Holy Spirit. And just like I told you, when we, when I started on this journey, I, I went back and I started challenging everything that I had been taught, uh, even prejudices that I had picked up from from my fathers, I guess you would say. You know, because you have your biological father that pours all these uh, biases and, and and viewpoints and perspectives into you all your life growing up. And then you have, you know, spiritual fathers or your mentors or, or whoever that may be speaking into your life. And if you realize they're not, you begin to take on their prejudices. You begin to take on their beliefs. And so going back and and actually challenging everything concerning the Holy Spirit, I begin to find there's quite a number of things that are just common misconceptions and perceptions about the Holy Spirit that, <clears throat> excuse me, that have really thrown a lot of people off. It's basically led us in the direction as a church as a whole in the wrong direction instead of going closer to God we've actually kind of estranged ourselves from God, thinking that we're doing things by the Spirit, when in actuality we're doing things out of carnality. We're doing things out of our soul. And so going back, you know, one thing that I had been taught most of my life was that the Holy Spirit only came on and, and indwelled people in the New Testament. And I've actually gone back and I've done a study, and, and you can do it as well, is go back into the Old Testament, and you'll find, I think it was 16 to 18 different people that didn't just have the Holy Spirit on them, but the Holy Spirit in them. And so this kind of destroys what a lot of people who teach on baptism and the Holy Spirit have taught in the past, because it's saying, well... You know, here these individuals, for instance, uh, when God is speaking to Moses about how to make the tabernacle, the tent of, of a meeting, he tells them, look for this man. And he names, he goes, in whom my spirit dwells and has been given to him the wisdom of working with metals and the wisdom of carving and the skill and and he goes through and he describes everything that was imparted to him by the Spirit of God. And then you fast forward because you find it over and over. Even Ezekiel says, I am filled with the Spirit of God. And so when you get to the early parts of the, the transition between the Old, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we, we catch that before Jesus is born. Right, because you see John the Baptist 
was full of the Holy Spirit. And it says that when Mary met Elizabeth, that John the Baptist in the womb of Mary, I mean in the womb of Elizabeth, excuse me, a jumped or leaped, and immediately Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, isn't that interesting? So it, it leads to the question, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Because if, if you can find the why to anything, then it begins to expose the purpose for everything. And a lot of times we don't take time to find the why. Because we assume, in our, because of our busy lives, that the people we're listening to have done adequate homework. But here's the thing. We're people of habit. We're not people of intellect and logic. As, as much as we would like to be, we do everything according to habit. So you have a habit of listening to the same speakers over and over because you like them or because you can identify with them or whatever the case may be. But you never make it a habit, or usually most people don't make it a habit. Let me generalize that. To go back and investigate what these speakers are saying to see if it's true or if it's not true. And the reason why I'm, I'm even bringing this up is because you begin to realize that just because they're a well-known speaker or they're well-known evangelist or, or whatever the case may be, doesn't mean that everything that comes out of the mouth is actually scripturally accurate. Because they're speaking out of that moment. And like I said earlier, sometimes they're carrying the biases and the prejudices and the, their preconceived ideas and everything else as they're speaking, and it comes out as well. And so I'm not saying that it's not the Spirit of God. I'm, what I am saying is that God will use whatever he can, in, in truth, of course, to reach people. So in spite of the failures and the frailty and, and the biases and everything else, he still gets his message through. And so when we go back and we look at what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, why? Why did he fill and come upon people in the Old Testament. What was the purpose of that? And as you go through, you'll find that there was always a particular purpose for these people to fulfill in God's plan. So we find in the Old Testament, it was only a select few that got to participate and have the Spirit of God Dwell in them or dwell upon them. It wasn't everyone. And so that's what leads up to Acts chapter 2 that Peter explains. Because in the Old Testament, it was only for a select few to receive the Holy Spirit. So let's go back and let's look in the Gospels and see exactly what happened and what was preached and what was taught. Because as we go back and we look at the foundation, and, and you have to understand, this is something that's covered in every single gospel. It's covered in the book of Acts. 
And so when you go back and you, and you look at this and the importance that the early writers, the early believers, the apostles, the disciples have placed on the baptism of the Holy Spirit is absolutely remarkable. And it can't be overlooked. So we're going to look at some of the proof texts that people often make an argument or a case for water baptism. And we actually see what it actually says for baptism in the Holy Spirit and its, and its purpose. So when we see John the Baptist coming into the scene, we can go to John chapter 1 and we can, we can easily see what's panning out as John the Baptist himself explains why he water baptizes. And this is something that's commonly overlooked as a result. So if we go to John chapter 1 very quickly. I'll tell you what verse here in a second. You'll begin to see the picture and, and the focus of even John, the revelator, John, as he's explaining these things out, the truths out to people because he, he already, he's already lived through it. He's already seen it. He's seen the results of it and the manifestation of it. So there's a particular perception. There's a particular viewpoint that he's portraying, and he's he's trying to articulate across the ages that somehow we've we've constantly missed. So if we go back, starting in verse 19 of chapter 1 of the book of John, so this is a testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they, they said to him, Who are you? We need to give answer an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered, to them, answered them, I baptize you with water, but one among you stands. Uh, one among you stands, but among you stands one you do not know. Sorry, I'm reading too fast. <laughs> Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things take, took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So here he's giving the explanation of why he was baptizing with water. And it's so that the hardness of heart and the blind eyes because of the callous callousness that sin caused in the Israelites because you have to understand before John the Baptist God did not speak to a prophet or anyone for 300 years he was silent towards Israel so now 
John the Baptist shows up and he's saying, this is why I water baptize that Jesus might be revealed to Israel. So this opens up a whole lot of questions that I'm not going to get into today or answer today, but because I want to focus on the Holy Spirit and I want to focus on his purpose in dwelling believers today and why it's so important. Okay, so going on to verse 32, and it says, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. It doesn't say he descended from heaven as a dove. Or uh, even though some translations say that, or it doesn't say that he descended from heaven um, like basically he didn't descend from heaven or he wasn't a dove descending from heaven. Let me put it that way. Right? It says like a dove. So it's it's explaining the grace, the 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 finesse on which the Holy Spirit descended from heaven and it and remained on Jesus. And it says and it, re, it re, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me he who whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So here, by the witness of God, speaking to John the Baptist, and the witness of John the Baptist himself, because we find it in every gospel, and I'll give you those scriptures in a second, he's saying he's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He's saying that Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So here's John the Baptist giving firsthand account, and he's explaining that Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the word baptizes for a second. And so you'll find that it's the word baptizo in Greek. And so baptize is actually a Greek word, not an English word, a Greek word that has been religious um, because we have kept it Greek instead of translating it to modern English. So the word baptizo just means to immerse, right? So I, I bapto, which means to dip the sponge in soap water before I scrub the the baptizo dishes right so you say i dip the sponge into soap water before i i scrub the immersed dishes in water right so the water the dishes are immersed in water while the sponge was dipped in water so you can see there's a difference in how it's used and, and why it's used so if we go back to one of the oldest uses of bapto and baptizo it's from an old pickling recipe and in that recipe it says you bapto the cucumbers in boiling water and then you baptizo them in in jars filled with vinegar and pickling salt and then you cap the lid so they stay fully submerged or immersed in the vinegar and pickling salt until the very nature of the cucumber becomes a pickle. Also, another picture that you can look at is that 
of when you're dyeing cloth. So whenever they dye cloth, they make sure that when it's immersed into a dye, it's baptized into into dye, that it is fully that the dye has fully penetrated every thread down to the core. So they'll take a, a thick piece and slice it open to see and make sure that um, that it's absorbed all the way to the very core of the of the um, material itself, the the fabric itself, the the threads itself. So that's the way it's used, and we see here that it's referring to Jesus is the one who who immerses with the Holy Spirit. Then he begins to give you an idea, okay, of, of what exactly is going on. So real quick, let's go to Matthew 3.11, because this is where we're going to find another instance. Matthew 3.11. And here you're going to see, this is John the Baptist speaking again. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. So here he's openly saying, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, there's some people, some well-known people, out there talking about that the, the baptism of fire is a greater baptism, and it is a straight-out lie. Because if we finish the context of the scripture, it says, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the shaft, which is all the leftover pieces, which are good for nothing, the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, do you think baptism of fire is the greater fire? And we find it again in Mark. Sorry, in Luke. Chapter 3 as well. Starting in verse 16. And it's the, the second place where it says that he baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so we see, again, it gives context, says the exact same thing in verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So he's giving context of what the fire is. You don't want fire, trust me. He's not talking about fire of trials and tribulations as covered in uh, the book of Corinthians. No, no, he's talking about hell, okay? Burning with unquenchable fire. So when we look at descriptions of hell, that's clearly stated. All right, so let's let's go back and look at the Holy Spirit. He will immerse you with the Holy Spirit. So when we look at this, a lot of people immediately think of Acts 1.8. Right. Well, real quick, let me give you the last scripture, which is in Mark 1, verse 8. It says basically the same thing as it says in John one thirty three. But let's go over to Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. Because this scripture has been so misunderstood and so taught not okay. But let me let me back up just a little further to verse four because I want you to see this. I want you to see exactly what Jesus 
said to the disciples. And you find, if you follow the timeline, if you take time and you look this up and you look it up in a parallel gospel uh, Bible, you'll find that he told them this after his resurrection. Because when you realize that, you realize he's placing the importance on the Holy Spirit and not water baptism. And understand, water baptism has its place, but it's not greater than the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we'll go back to John 3, and I'll explain that out here in a second. Okay, so here in Acts 1, verse 4, it says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So you see, they didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? Because or else they wouldn't need to wait. They would just start walking it out. But here is where you see the importance of John 14, 15, and 16, where he's, he's telling them about the Holy Spirit, the very nature of the Holy Spirit, which is an interesting study. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit, right? He comes for sin. Righteousness and judgment. And so he says, because the the prince of this world is, um, sorry, let me back up. Sin, because the world does not know him, right? And then it says, for, for righteousness, because I will be with you no longer. Uh, and what's interesting is the word righteousness that we translate into righteousness is actually the word justice. In every other language, and even in Greek, <clears throat> it's the word justice, which is very interesting. And that's something that I hope to get to with you uh, very soon because you begin to realize that we are God's justice on this earth, which well, just stepping into that is very interesting. And then it says um, – of judgment because the prince of this world has been judged. And if you look at that word and compare it to the word for righteousness, you'll see that they are in the same family in Greek because they are very closely related. So you see the the purpose of the Holy Spirit and why he's here just from going over John chapter 14, 15, and 16. So Let's get into the juicy part, right? So when they had come, this is verse 6 of Acts 1. So it's Acts 1, 6. It says, when they had come together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But look at verse 8. But you have received power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. All right, so let's look at this and let's break this down. Because I can – let me show you first how the church has seen this. You will receive power by means of the Holy Spirit, and you will, be, you will become witnesses of Jesus, right? That's the way most people read this. But they never take time to actually look up what dunamis means because there's five words for power. 
five different words for power in Koine Greek, in common Greek. And if we go up to verse 7, the word authority there is the word power, but it's exousia, right? It's a right to rule, the, uh, the, the right to exercise authority. Because if you didn't have a right to exercise authority, then you would be a thief. But when you look at the word dunamis, the word dunamis means an inherent power by virtue of a person or a thing's nature. So if we go over to Luke 10, 19, we see that the Jesus saying, Behold, I give you exousia, I give you authority to tread upon all the power of the enemy, which is dunamis. Let me go there real quick. Make sure I didn't misquote that for you. It says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the dunamis of the enemy. So you can see that the enemy has dunamis. In Acts 1.8, says, You will receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So when you begin to realize that it, it's an inherent power by virtue that comes from the very nature of a person or a thing. And so when you see that the Holy Spirit is a person because he's grieved, right? He can be quenched. He speaks. There's so much that goes into it, and there's tons of scriptures that prove that he's a person, right? And so – a lot of what people teach in churches around the world is that the Holy Spirit is a means to an end, and the end being power, and power for their ministries, power to make them well-known and gain influence and do all these things. So they use and abuse the Holy Spirit, thinking there's no consequence whatsoever to their actions, and I'm sad to tell you, but there will be. And so when you look at this, and you actually break this apart, and you rightly divide this, you begin to realize, okay, if it comes from the very nature of a person or a thing, whose nature is this power coming from? Oh, the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power. Not before, but after. So as a result of the very nature of the Holy Spirit, power comes. And then you continue reading. It says, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, to the end of the earth. So when you go back and you look at this, what makes you a witness? Is it the power? Because if that's true, then we can look at warlocks and Hindus and all these other people. In religions and stuff, we say, well, they operate in power, so they must be witnesses of God. They must be witnesses of Jesus Christ. And we know that's certainly a false statement. So who makes you a witness of Jesus Christ? Is it power or is it the Holy Spirit? And you'll find 100% of the time, it's the Holy Spirit. We find that by the Holy Spirit, love is poured out in our hearts. You find that faith or trust operates through love. You find that by the, the very nature 
of God, the goodness of God, the power of God flows. So it has nothing to do with us. The only thing that God requires of us is obedience and trust. And you trust because you're obedient. Or you, you're obedient because you trust. Sorry, I had that backwards. And because you trust, you become obedient. Is basically what it boils down to. So when you look at this, and you begin to realize that everything comes from the Spirit of God, if you're operating from His Spirit, you place your trust in Him, you place your trust in God, and not of yourself. Because then it's using your dunamis. Oh, we're stepping on some dangerous ground here, right? Yes, you have dunamis. But it's been tainted. It's been tainted because of the fallen nature of man that resulted because of sin due to the fall in Genesis chapter 3. So when we go into Romans and it explains the different natures, the nature of, of the first Adam and the nature of the last Adam, then you begin to realize and understand what is being stated, what is, what is being portrayed, what is being said clearly. Or you look at Nicodemus, when we go here to John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, he says, we know that you're from God. Because who could do these things unless God was with him? So they can tell by his very nature, but because of who he is, his character, his nature, that he was from God. And John states in chapter 1, that Jesus, light, came to the earth and exposed darkness, but men loved their darkness more than light. So he's explaining how the Pharisees, the relig- religious rulers of the day, were so blinded by their own ambition, by their own dunamis, their own power, and struggles for power and influence and control. That they completely miss Jesus. And so interesting that we can go to churches today and find the same thing going on. So you begin to realize, not by the Spirit of God that they're trying to do things and say things, but it's by a spirit of manipulation. It's a spirit of control. That's not the Holy Spirit. I'm not thinking ahead of myself. So let's go to John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of, Pharise- of, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of you. Okay, I, I was trying to avoid this. So it doesn't actually say born again. It says born uply, born of heaven, born anew. I'll, I'll settle for born anew. Because born again ties straight back into what Nicodemus is trying to question. It falls right into his, his question. Right, so it actually means 
born anew because you're a new creation that has never existed before. The word in Greek can be directly tied to our word prototype. One of a kind creation. Never existed on the face of the earth ever before. And we'll get there in a second. So you're born anew because he cannot see the kingdom of God. So unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Right? See, here he's making his case. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, a lot of people stop right there. They take that one verse out of its context, and they make it apply to, see, see, you have to be baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit, or else you can't enter into the kingdom of God. But if you follow on the context into the next verse, it says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So what did he just equate to water? Flesh. What happens when a woman's water breaks? There's birth, right? So he's saying that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So he's saying you have to be born of the flesh and born of the spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 7, do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born anew. And the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And you can continue on, and you'll see basically that he ends up rebuking Nicodemus and telling him, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe me, how can you believe me if I tell you heavenly things? And so when you look at everything he's sharing with Nicodemus, because all the way to verse 21 is Jesus having a discussion with Nicodemus, right? So we see even here Jesus is placing an importance on the Holy Spirit. And if we go to Romans 8, we see that it says, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to him. Yep, that's what it says. Go look it up. So why? Why is this that we need the Spirit of Christ? Why is it that we need the Holy Spirit? Do you know? Because we're going to pull this up and we're going to dive into this because you're going to begin to see exactly what Paul is communicating to the, to the Corinthians. And nothing does it justice unless we, we read it from this frame of mind, or from this viewpoint, where he's sharing with them spiritual truths, physical truths, hoping that they will understand him. And so when you look at what he's saying, and we're going to look at chapter 2, starting verse 11. It says, well, we can back up a little bit. Let's back up. Let's go to 
Let's go to verse 6. Yeah, so this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, as though it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything. Your translation might say all things, everything. So does that, does that leave anything out? No. And look, he even, qual- he even qualifies it. He says even the depths of God. So let's look at what he's, he's bringing out here. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God. So he's giving very practical examples that your thoughts are known by your spirit, by your human spirit or however you would say that, right? And so just like we are made, the way he designed us, he himself is. So the Holy Spirit knows all his thoughts. We see that he searches out everything, even the depths of God. So he knows everything about God. He knows everything about creation. He knows everything about the past and the future, everything else, because he can see it. This is the Holy Spirit we're talking about. Look at verse 12. Now we have not, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Wow. Verse 13. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. A lot of people quote this verse halfway. Don't finish it. But look what it says. But we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? Because most ministries, you follow along with them, they say you don't have the mind of Christ. You need to work for it. You need to strive for it. You need to do all these things to attain the mind of Christ. And you find that it's simply not true. It's not true at all. You have the mind of Christ. It says it right there, plainly. How? 
you have received the Holy Spirit from God. And if you haven't, Jesus is very clear about that too. If you being evil, being earthly, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to whoever asks. So if you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you don't need somebody to lay hands on you. We can see it in Scripture. You can have somebody lay hands on you. We see that in Scripture. The method is not important. The fact that it happens is what's important. So we see that you have the Spirit of God, and because you have the Spirit of God, He makes known even the depths of God to you. Everything to you. That you have the mind of Christ. It's not something to be obtained. I can hear some of you kind of rolling over a little bit because you want to bring up first, uh, Romans 12. Sorry. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Well, let's look at it because a lot of people just want to take two without reading, reading verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I'm reading from the ESV. This is how you spiritually worship, worship God, and is by presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Thank you, Jesus. Look at number two. Do not be conformed to this world. Conformed means we don't we're not supposed to look like this world. That's scary because you if you look at the church, they're trying to look like the world. They're trying to bring people in by having dances and raves and doing all good. I mean, it's as ridiculous as in Oklahoma, they have uh Dance pole lessons, and they call them, they they call themselves dancing for Christ. And so they're dancing on these stripper poles in the church now. Look it up; it's on YouTube. You don't believe me? It's on YouTube. It's out there. Again, being conformed to this world, right? It says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind." That you may test, but that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So, let me ask you a question, because that's what it, it, it ends up leading up to: is how do you renew your mind? Is it by getting a lot of information in your mind, or is it simply? By going over something and then doing it. Because if you think it's by a bunch of information, then you'll fall into the category where you're ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Because you have an idea, you have a theory, you have a concept, but you never get to practically walk it out because you never learned enough to do it. And what did I say in the beginning? God is looking for people who will just absolutely trust him and obey him. See, because what happens is 
this very spirit of God comes and he lives inside of you. And he brings everything that's his. The goodness, the mercy, the love, the joy, the peace, the provision, the shelter, the protection, the safety. Everything he brings with him when he moves in and pushes everything else out. I'm telling you, God's been showing this to me. We were in Brazil. We are at a Baptist church. God tells me, you're speaking on baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, uh-uh. I'm in a Baptist church. I know what that means. No, no. God goes, I said, yeah, God, I'm, I'm just going to talk about healing. And this is already a big step for them, that they're opening up to, to receiving a healing message. He goes, I want you to speak on baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm wrestling with God in my head. I'm like, nope, not going to do it. They're going to kick me out of here. He goes, why are you here? It's like, because I was obedient to you. He's like, okay. So they kicked you out of here. I was like, well, okay, then, it, then it'll be your fault. At least I know I'm doing your will. So, of, of course, God always wins in the end, right? So I get up there. I preach a message on baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and the reason why people keep falling back into sin is because they're relying on their flesh. They're relying on message. They're trying to struggle and strive against sin, which is the very nature that they still have until they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit moves in, he removes the desire to sin because that's not who he is. That's not his nature. That's not anything to do with him because he is holy. It's part of his name, Holy Spirit. He's absolutely pure. And I asked the church, I said, who wants to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The whole church gets up, gets in line. Our team, we start laying hands on them. They're getting filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God. So we, we spend quite quite a time laying hands on all these people. And I noticed that they were coming up sick and leaving healed as the Spirit of God was moving into them. I kid you not. At the very end of service, the pastor goes, well, this wasn't what I had in mind. Uh, would, do you mind praying for the sick? I said, absolutely not. We'll definitely pray for the sick. I go, but I don't think you're going to find many sick people. What do you mean? I go, just go ahead. We'll see. He goes, I, he goes I, know these, I know these people. They're sick. They need healing. I go, okay, we'll see. So he called for the sick. Three people came forward. We prayed for them. God healed them instantly. Looked over at the pastor. pastor just looking at me like, what in the world just happened? I go, ask them, who got healed when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And all of a sudden, you see all these hands shoot up, and he asked them to come give testimony. And they went down to the front, and they testified, just sharing about the goodness of God. And as the Spirit of God moved in, he brought all of his goodness, which is also divine health, and he pushed out all sickness. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. In a Baptist church, of all places, God is demonstrating his goodness. So when you go to Galatians chapter 5, 22 to 23, when you see the fruit of the Spirit, you're seeing the very nature of God. That's the very nature of the Spirit. 
of his Holy Spirit. It's who he is. So when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is what should exude out of you. This is what should flow out of you effortlessly. And then you find that God starts bringing things to your mind. He starts convicting you and exposing and revealing to you little things. Before, they were not a big deal. But these little things, they stick to you, and you're like, oh, I feel dirty. I feel nasty because I said this, or I did that, or I wasn't completely honest. I had one of those things happen to me recently. I, did, I didn't do anything wrong intent. I was helping do some stuff, and I made an honest mistake. I, I took uh, a friend some screws, and I said, I think you know these are the, the screws you need, and I stepped back. And I was watching, and then I saw, you know, his wife. He caught the mistake, and uh, saved basically the project. And I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" But did I do anything wrong? No. Did anything bad happen? No. But I felt convicted, so you know, I had to go back to him and say, "Look, I'm sorry. I, I, I thought I had handed you the right truth." And so most people would say, "Oh, that's not a big deal. That's that's you know, it's it was taken care of." But in my heart, in my mind, before God, it was a huge deal. And you begin to realize how the Holy Spirit is so pure. He's so good that He wants to remove everything that keeps Him from every part of your life. Because he's good. Absolutely good. It's not do's and don'ts. It's not, oh, you can't have fun anymore. No, it's through relationship. We're reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ. We communicate with him by the Holy Spirit. Because look at this. If God, if Jesus came and he forgave our sins... How easy would it be for the devil just to make a sin again? Then what was the point of Jesus' sacrifice? But God saw bigger than that. He saw deeper than that. He says, even in, in the, the, the prophets in the Old Testament, he says, their lips are nigh me, but their hearts are far from me. And doesn't that sound like a lot of churches today? That they're so driven into their traditions and everything, and they say the right things, and they do the right things, while everyone's looking. As soon as nobody's looking, they're back to their old selves, cussing their children out before walking in, in the door, doing all these bad things, thinking all these bad things. It's completely contradictory to the very nature of God. So a lot of times I step into churches and I see a bunch of hypocrites. Because they're being hypocritical to the nature of God that abides in them. By trying to be like the world. See, you thought the other way. You thought I was going to say, oh, they were the world trying to act like God. No, 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 no. So when you look at this, he, he comes. That's why Jesus said it's imperative that I go to the Father so that he can send the Holy Spirit. This is Christ in you, the hope of glory, that by his Spirit... It places Christ, not in just one person, but in millions and billions of every person that will come to Christ 
he comes and he abides in and he lives in and transforms into the image of his beloved son. So we're no longer striving for works of righteousness by our own sake, by our own hands, but we trust in Jesus Christ who made us righteous before a perfect and good God. So Holy Spirit comes so that we could be witnesses of Jesus. Do you realize the word Christian was never said from brother to brother who, who were believers? It's what the, the non-believers called believers. And it means Christ-like, exactly like Christ, imitators of Christ. And they didn't understand. It wasn't, oh, I have to do this because this is what Jesus would do. No, it's, this is what I do because I have the very nature, I have the very heart and the core and the essence by the Spirit of God residing and living in me. See, now bells are going off in your head, right? Because you're starting to think, oh my gosh, that's what Paul's talking about. He says, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Right? Because you begin to realize that his very nature, he's given us. He's put away the old nature. Put it to death by the cross. And all the ordinances and everything that was written against us. And he's given us his very spirit, the very essence of who he is. And that's why it says here in Second Peter 1 verse 4, it says, And by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And you begin to realize how did we become partakers of divine nature? Divine nature comes by the very presence, excuse me, the very presence of the Holy Spirit. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying here. The importance that Jesus, the disciples, the apostles, even Paul, we're all pointing to is the Holy Spirit and his presence in your life. And you being fully immersed in the Spirit of Christ, in the Spirit of God, because you take on his nature. And then you begin to operate and move by his nature. You want to see the sick healed? Get a deeper understanding and walk in relationship and fellowship and trust in obedience. You want to see miraculous things happen? You want to see great deliverances? Do you want to see great defiance in, against the, the kingdoms and the kings of this world? It comes to the very nature of God. Dunamis says, but you will receive power, inherent power by virtue of the Holy Spirit's nature. And that's why I teach God is healer. Because we go to John 1, we begin to see, we begin to realize, this is what John was talking about. This has been our testimony from the beginning, John 1, 5. That God is light, and in him dwells no darkness. And God started showing me a light. When a light turns on, does it struggle and strive to use dominion and authority to push back darkness? 
No, it's just being true to its nature. So when we look at God, we see that he's the God of the supernatural. He's, he created everything. Everything's in his hands. And all the mysteries and the depths and, and of everything is all in God. It was all created by him and through him and for his good pleasure. So everything functions and flows out of his nature. Let me share this last story as I'm finishing up. So I was there in Brazil right before I came back, and I think I've shared this before. And it started raining on a tin roof at this church, Eternal Rock, in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And it just couldn't hear anything. It was so loud, I couldn't hear myself in the monitors. I couldn't. And I could see people making faces and turning their ears toward me because they were straining to hear what I was sharing with them. And I asked them, can you hear me? And they're just looking at me and they're just shaking their head like... And they were pointing at their ears and they were saying, no, no, we can't. And they are shaking their fingers like, no, we can't hear you. So I said, give me a second. I turned around. I didn't even think about it. In all honesty, I didn't really think about it. I just turned around. I said, right now, rain you stop in Jesus' name. And as I turned, turned around back to the crowd, the rain had completely stopped. The second I said amen... It completely stopped and said, how about now? And they erupted in praise toward God. And I I began sharing with them. I was like, you have the – I go, Jesus did it. You have Jesus living in you. You can do it too because it comes from the very nature of God, the very nature of the Holy Spirit. And it's absolutely beautiful. It's absolutely amazing. So as you spend time going back and and studying out the things I've shared with you, you'll begin to realize that it's easy. It's not hard. Jesus made it so simple. He made it so easy. The only thing we have to do is rely on him wholeheartedly, which is trust. And obey because we trust him. It absolutely changes everything. So I hope this has blessed you this evening. And uh, ask Dorothy if you had any questions or anything, you know, we get any calls? <laughs> no, no calls, no questions. Um, but that was really interesting because, you know, you know how sometimes you you go through your walk and things happen and you just you don't exactly know why, or maybe I'm the only one that does that. But <laughs> no, I'm I'm there. With I have <laughs> I have noticed through the years that most of the time there was no struggle to get rid of things in my life. It was just like. The desire was taken away. I always say, well, he does the heavy lifting because he just takes the desire mm-hmm. away. And and with this teaching tonight, now I, now I get it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, there was, there was a young man um, 
when we were in Minnesota that he had a meth addiction. And I was just sharing how God is good. And his nature is just, he's just complete goodness. And he said, so you mean God can take away my meth addiction? I said, absolutely. So at the end, uh, a friend of mine, who's part of our ministry team, prayed for the guy. He completely gets delivered from meth, Dorothy. It was amazing. And then he turned around and he he basically said he hadn't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this guy who brought him over to me says, well, I don't know how to release, you know, the Spirit of God into him. I go, it's simple. You don't do nothing. And he's like, what? I go, just grab his hand. So he grabbed his hand and said, right now in Jesus' name, just receive the, the Holy Spirit. As soon as he said that, this guy starts getting hit. I, and I can sense physically the Spirit of God flowing through my belly, through my arm, and hitting him. And he's just wave after wave. The only thing I can say is like, a, like electricity hitting this guy. And God goes, there. I said, okay, there you go. And he's Whoa, whoa, he was just freaking out. And basically, because I, I know <laughs> what he was thinking at the time. He was like, this is better than getting high. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the, the man, gentleman next to me, he's like, he goes, that was amazing. I go, you could sense it too, huh? And he's like, yeah, I could. And it was just it's very simple because when you realize that you're a fountain of of living water, it says you were rivers of living water, right? And that the rivers of living water flow out of your belly. They're constantly moving. They're overflowing. And so when you direct it in, in towards a person to be filled with the Spirit of God, it's like you're taking a huge water hose and you're opening it up on them. And it just completely... <laughs> You know what I mean? You're just completely like, and they're empty. They're an empty well at first, you know? And it just begins, they begin getting filled up, and then they start hearing God, and they start acting on hearing Him, and it just creates something just absolutely beautiful, absolutely amazing in people's lives. And I, honestly, Dorothy, I've been completely at all of it, because just as you said, it becomes effortless. And that's not to say that he's going to take everything away. Some things we do have to work on, but it's it's oh, more yeah, an obedience than trusting thing. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, he does the heavy lifting most of the time. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Well, even on those things that you're saying, like you're saying, when we, when we struggle with something in particular, it, it says that we're led away by our own lust, our own desire. And it's simply surrendering that desire back over to God and making that conscious decision to truly do that. It goes. And it goes quickly. See, because a lot of people think they can fool God by saying, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say that I surrender it. But really in my heart, I don't surrender it. No, no, God sees your heart. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. So just because you got your hand caught in the cookie jar, you know, somebody walked in and your hand's in the cookie jar, 
doesn't mean that you're actually repentant. You might be sorry that you got caught, but it doesn't mean you're actually going to change from ever taking the cookies when you're not supposed to have the cookies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so when you realize that God sees your heart completely, then ah, you might as well just be honest and open with him. He respects that. You know, I have I have some friends that um, in the past they've struggled with a lot of physical ailments and issues, and they're so careful not to say the wrong thing and, and everything else. Like, it doesn't matter, you know, if you say the wrong thing or not because you're trying to do it as a method if in your heart you truly don't believe it. That's why it says you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So just because you think you can you can say the right things, all of them that validates you, that, that makes you correct. No, sometimes God just wants you to be truthful with him. God, you know what? I messed up. I need help. And then help comes knocking on your door and you're like, Oh, okay, well this isn't what I had in planned. It would have been much easier if you had just done it this way. Or you're gonna tell God how to do it. Now you gotta submit your pride. So God's killing two birds with one stone. You know? <laughs> I was thinking the other day when I had a headache and I looked at the bottle of Advil and I said you know what I know that if I take this Advil it will get rid of the headache why can't I know that if I pray to get rid of the headache that it will go I said I've got to make that leap so yeah it's a matter yeah. of wholly believing. Just like you know that Advil will take the headache away, you've got to know that Father will do what he said he'd do. Right? Right. right. And if if we were completely honest with ourselves, we know that Advil doesn't actually take away the headache. It just dulls the area so you don't feel the headache anymore. Right. Exactly. But God, when he actually... If when he takes away the headache, he takes away the headache. So even today, with uh, a brother that I was with working working with today, he goes, "I have a very strong sinus pressure that's causing a headache." So okay, pray for him. I go, "How's that now?" He goes, "God's got it taken care of." I said, "Okay." So you know the the headache left, you know. <laughs> But a lot of times, like you said, it's just knowing that that God does it 100% of the time. And because he's good. He's absolutely good. So when you know that he's absolutely healer, he absolutely sees people's hearts. He even sees, you know, and hears their thoughts. And we can see that with Jesus, right? Constantly he was hearing people's thoughts as... They're trying to plot against him or attack him or just thinking something ridiculous. He was able to discern their thoughts. And this is something that a lot of people think is kind of spooky and scary. But you find as you step into being obedient to the Spirit of God because of the relationship and the fellowship, then you find that oftentimes you begin to hear people's thoughts. And and it's kind of kind of crazy, 
uh, when it first started happening to me, I was I I got to share on a Sunday morning at a church, and as soon as I started to sh- to like get into the real uh, thickness of the message, I started hearing all these questions and thoughts in my head. And I thought I was going crazy, Dorothy. I thought honestly, I thought I was going crazy. I was like, "Oh, maybe I studied too much. Maybe I put too much pressure on myself to do this, or something's going on." And God told me, "Start answering the questions." So I said, "Okay." So I, I stepped back and I started answering the questions. And at the end, I had almost for every question, somebody come up to me and say, "Oh, when you." That question that you answered Because that was my question And a number of people would come and do that And I'm like oh my gosh I can hear their questions This is creepy (laughs) 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 You know (laughs) And, And so basically God started showing me You know That even though the words are coming out of my mouth In the spirit He was helping me line up the questions so that everybody could hear the answers to the questions so they would get the totality of the message because a lot of people don't listen until their answer until their question is answered right yeah because i always like when you pray for someone it. yeah when someone asks for prayer i was trying to explain it to someone and and i don't always explain things well and i says well this is how it is somebody asks you to pray for them they tell you what they want prayer for and then father comes in and tells you what they really need prayer for so it's yep. <laughs> that happens a lot that happens tons of times so i know exactly what it's, you mean <laughs> yeah it's but to try and tell somebody who hasn't done it before they probably don't understand what you're saying you know like like i said i don't always explain things well which is why I don't do the teaching. <laughs> There'd be more questions than well, answers if I did the teaching. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that today's message really kind of opens a lot of different, um, a lot of different things for people because then they begin to realize how simple and easy it is. And operating from the spirit is is super simple, super easy, because all it is is surrendering fully to God and just trusting him. Which is not always easy because a lot of times oh. we're taught to mistrust. Right. So the, the world will teach you to to mistrust. But when you actually, if you were to sit down and make a list about God and the devil, and make a conscious decision, okay, who should I trust? You will see that logically you will always pick God. He's truthful, he's honest, he's a promise keeper. He keeps his words, cannot lie. Right? He keeps covenants even to a thousand generations. He's good, he's holy, he's perfect, he's righteous. Right? And then you look at the devil. Right. He's a covenant breaker, never keeps any of his promises. He's a liar. He's a thief. He, he loves to steal, kill, and destroy. And then you begin to realize, 
oh my gosh, like I've been trusting a con man with my inter- my my eternity. So when when you actually get the right perspective, simply by sitting down and evaluating scripture, and then and then sitting, then basically making a decision off of it, because ultimately that's what it is. You have to decide within yourself to trust. That's why one of my favorite quotes has become, "Don't let Satan put a question mark where God has put a period." Oh, I like that. Right? Because you find that that's what the devil does. Did God really say? Right? And that we find in, in Genesis chapter 3? Yep. So, he, so he's putting a question mark where God made a statement. Because God is the truth bearer. While the devil is just a, he's the father of all lies. So you begin to see how simple and how easy it is to trust a good God. So the devil does his absolute best to paint God as the Godfather. Right? Make one one slip up and you're sleeping with the fishes. One mistake. Right. And you (laughs) and you lose a finger. Because that's God teaching you a lesson. That's rubbish. It's poop. Because that's not who he is. That's not his nature. He desires mercy more than sacrifice. He doesn't want you to sacrifice. He'd rather give you mercy. So when you begin to see God for who he is, it makes all the difference. And so, you know, I'm glad you actually brought that up because we're we're going to be launching our first uh, nine-week nine week or more a course on our Bible school for the nature of God. So in in the nature of God, we're going to cover the redemptive names of God, which there are seven. And then we're going to cover uh, I am and dive dive into that. So you begin to see God through the correct lens, the, the correct paradigm, and it lays a foundation for a believer's walk. And so right now we're basically offering a special um, for anybody who gets in for the this first session of in, that's half off. Basically, it's going to be six hundred for the full course later on, but we're offering it for three hundred because it's a lot of work. It's it's going to be a lot of lots of teaching, lots of in, engagement, and for us, it's all about. Um, Practicality. How to apply these simple ideas and concepts to your life on a regular basis? Because if you can't apply it to your life, then what's the point? If it doesn't change, exactly, life, if it doesn't challenge you, right? Then what's the point? And as much as you know, I would like not to charge for anything. Uh, we find, and even taking counsel with other ministers. They say if you don't if you do it for free, nobody values it. That's a very old maxim. And it's true, yes. That's why and a little off the track I when I worked at the animal shelter, we always charged adoption fees just so that the person would place some kind of value that they could see 
on this animal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and it's honestly one thing that I've struggled with. Cause my God, I would love to give you know this out for free, and you know just sell one of your cows in heaven, and I'll be good. And he was like, No, they won't value it. They won't. They won't take what you're saying seriously. And so I'm like, Okay, God. So we'll we'll do it this way because you know I've wrestled with him about it. But you see, in in our culture, we if anything that's free is is cheap, right? It's not, mm-hmm. It has no value. And so. So we're going to be doing that nine-week nine course um, for, for half off for the first course, and then it's going to go back to to full value. Because it's, it's going to probably, looking at it, it's, it's going to be easily over 40 hours of, of teaching and training. It's going to be basically a semester in a Bible school. That's how deep we're going to go. That's how simple we're going to try to keep it. But we we want people to be able to go through it and make practical application in their life and, and begin um, changing how they see God and how they interact with, with others around them. So it'll be good. We're, we're really excited about that. And, and we have a lot more in store that we're going to be coming out with. So it's going to be good. And that's going to be through your website? Yeah, it's, it's in our school, uh, Be the Gospel Institute. And if you go to our website, bethegospel.com, there's a tab that says school. If you click on that, it takes you straight to it, and you can just sign up for free. But we have a number of free courses there, like God is Healer um, and a Daily Devotional for seven days. And it's just basically we're we're introducing some things to help people um, see how we teach, the purpose of why we teach the way we do, and just breaking it down to where it becomes super simple for people to to understand and walk out. That sounds excellent. Oh, she wants me to post the website, Karanda Ann. Okay, it's... Ah, I've got the chat room open on the computer and then... Got the studio open on the tablet, so I'm a little. Oh. <laughs> then I got the voice coming through on the phone. Be the gospel dot c o m. There. That website is also referenced in the show notes every show that Anthony does. So, if you ever forget it, just go back to one of the show pages and. Right under the description, the link is there. Oh, you're welcome, Rhonda. <laughs> um, so that's it. Then I'm thinking we covered yeah, everything. Yeah, and yeah, I just wanted to pray over everyone. Bless them, and then yes. we look forward to... Let's close with a prayer. Yeah. And we look forward to seeing them, and uh, they'll, they'll be hearing from me in a, in a couple of weeks. So. <laughs> 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 and 
And so basically okay. we'll be talking about how to, to flow from the Spirit of God um, next next time we're on. So it's going to be very interesting. Some things God's been stirring up in me uh, that, that shows how simple, how effortless it is. Uh, just simply trusting God. And it will challenge people, but it will it will be absolutely amazing. Uh, like real quick, I uh, was at I went to go see a movie with a friend, and um, when we were there in line, I saw a young man with a cast all the way down from above his elbow down to his hands, and I just asked him if he had any any pain or any issues with him. He goes, Yeah, I had a very bad break. And I'm in a lot of pain. I've actually been struggling with the pain. So, okay. He's like, well, I'm going to pray for you, and God's going to heal all of it right now. And he was like, what? Is it okay if I pray with you? He goes, yeah. Yeah, if it's going to take away the pain, definitely. So I prayed for him in the name of Jesus. I realized he had a Middle Eastern accent. So I, I've just learned not to look at them while, while I say, in the name of Jesus, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, and in the name of Jesus, amen. And he just, he, his face changed and he looked at me. He goes, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for praying. I was like, so how does it feel now? And he just started telling me the story. And I said, no, no, no. Like, do you have any pain left? Because my, my, uh, my, my group was walking off. And uh, he goes, I have no pain. Awesome. Well, you take care. And I shook his hand, and I went inside to to, to meet my group. And so he he was walking in slightly behind us, and he was wiping his eyes. So I don't know if he was clearing something from his eyes, or if, or if he was just completely touched by God. But it was it was beautiful. And to see how God has you in certain places for a particular purpose, even though sometimes we think that it's an inconvenience, you know. <laughs> But God has you there for someone. So that's some of the things we're going to be covering next time we're on. Okay? So let me go ahead and pray and bless you and and, and close. Is that okay, Dorothy? Yes, that's absolutely fine. Go right ahead. Okay. Because I, I can probably talk for another hour if you needed me to. <laughs> <laughs> Father, right now in Jesus' name, we we thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. We thank you that we have the mind of Christ. We have the spirit of Christ. And we thank you that you have washed away anything that hinders us from being reconciled back to you. So, Father, I thank you for everyone. I can hear the sound of my voice. All sickness, all weakness. All infirmity, you go now. You be completely healed from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. And somebody having some financial difficulties. So right now, in Jesus' name, Father, I I thank you for provision. Right now, I hear God saying, it's not going to come the way you're expecting. So be open. And God will fill your cup. So we thank you for that right now, Father. That you meet every need. 
you are our provider. So we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. And Father, we thank you for divine protection over everybody who's listening, that they are protected because they are in your hand. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Anthony. I enjoyed that lesson. Um, it really is quite simple when you break it down. Mm-hmm. And we need to stop struggling and trying to do it all in our flesh. That's yep. We need to get that. It's It's the one key thing. So thank you. God bless you. And you, everyone have a great evening. And we look forward to next time. Father bless everyone. Have a wonderful week. I was just going to say something. It just totally left my mind. Receive all the blessings that Father wants to give you because he's just waiting there to give it to you. Good night, Anthony. Good night, Dorothy.